Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen and we pray that you are blessed. Relove family, I wanna thank you so much again for tuning in. I just wanna say good morning if you're watching this in the morning or maybe good afternoon if you're watching this uh, this afternoon. I just wanna welcome you back to Relove and to our Relove worship. I pray that you were blessed and inspired by the praise and worship. And I just wanna thank again George and Ricky and the team for just consistently delivering and providing an environment where our hearts can just be lifted. Um, obviously, um, we're still sheltering in place. And as you heard, um, at least where I am in Riverside, a lot of the restrictions have been rolled back again because the, the virus numbers are going up. Maybe not so much here in Orange County, but we're still trying to figure this thing out. However, I do want to let you know that we are praying for you. We're praying for your safety and we're, pray, we're praying for your sanity, that in spite of everything that's going on, that you would just really be able to experience the peace of God. And as you've already heard, we have several things that are going on here at our church for you that will hopefully keep you connected to one another and keep you connected to the spirit. Obviously, we have our prayer line that's happening every Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. We have our life groups that are happening um, throughout the week, and you can get more information about those from our website. And so there are plenty of opportunities to connect and to plug in, and we just pray that you take advantage of those for your own spiritual growth and for your own sanity. And of course, we're still praying for all of the parents that are that are homeschooling. I know many schools in Orange County have gone back to the classroom, and so we're grateful for that, um, but we're just continuing to pray for, for everyone that is being affected. And as you know, we are in this new series called Red, White, and Revelation, and the reason why we're in this series now is because November 3rd is coming. The political debates are intensifying. I'm getting text messages two or three times a day from the Biden camp and from the Trump camp asking me who I'm voting for, um, getting text messages from the various political parties that are trying to push the various propositions within the state of California. I'm sure you're getting them as well. And my mailbox is filled with flyers and mailers giving me the pros and cons of the various propositions. And so it's clear that we're living in a very um, political time. And this is, you know, the system in which we live. And so we understand it's a part of this American process. However, what we've been trying to focus on is what is our role? What is our orientation, our disposition as Christians, those individuals who are actually living in Christ? What is our orientation within this political drama that we're experiencing? A, a, a lot of evangelicals, both on the right and the left have, have, have dropped their flag in one political camp or the other. Um, we place yard signs, not in front of our houses, but in front of our lives, which are really, which are really um, putting forth and showing who we are representing and who we're voting for. And I'm just, I just felt compelled as I read the word of God to challenge each one of us 
about what we should or should not be doing as it pertains to politics and the gospel and how we live our lives. Now, again, uh, this, this series is not intended to tell you who to vote for, right? That's not what we're trying to accomplish here. I'm not trying to persuade you one way or the other, but what I am trying to do is to just give you a biblical worldview and to kind of help you understand what our, what our position should be. Because we're in Christ, how now does that inform our, our orientation and our posture towards politics. And so we're going to jump into part two, episode two of this series, Red, White, and Revelation. And as we do that, as we open our Bibles, I want to just invite you to have a word of prayer with me today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you again just for this um, opportunity to open your word. Lord, I'm grateful for this country and the freedoms that we experience in this country, which allow us to open the word of God, which allow us to share what we feel your word is teaching us um, without any type of retribution, without any recourse, but we can have a conversation, a discussion about your word freely and across the airways. And so I'm so grateful that you have given us this environment where religious liberty is available to us in this country. And I just pray that we would take advantage of this time of peace to where we can study your word openly so that we can better understand who you are. We can better understand who we are and what you are calling us to do in this time. God, my prayer is for everyone who's watching, everyone who's listening, whether they're at home, in the car, taking a walk, at work, wherever they may be right now, that you would just speak to their hearts, that you would just help them come to uh, experience your peace, that you would just overshadow them right now with your presence, oh God, and that you would just call us higher is my prayer. And so we thank you, Father. We bless you. Have your way in this moment right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so as many of you all know, not just are we living in a very political time, but we are living in a season where there is a lot of sports and competition taking place in today. Right? We just finished the NBA Finals where the Lakers won their 17th title, right? We're excited about that. Um, we are in the middle of the Major League Baseball Finals where the Dodgers and I think it's the Tampa Bay Rays are competing, competing and uh, we're all, you know, obviously pulling for the Dodgers, right? Since we are in Southern California. Um, at the same time, the NFL season is, you know, in motion and don't let me forget about the NHL season just finished a couple, I think, weeks ago or maybe a month or so ago. And so sports is really a, a good distraction for a lot of us who are just tired of the, the political debate and the political climate that we're living in. But what's interesting about this sports arena, right, and just sporting in general is that the success of the Lakers and the success of the Dodgers and the success of, you know, the L.A. Rams and the success of the NHL teams and whoever wins the championship. All of the success that, that a team or that an individual experiences is purely 100 percent based off of their skills, their efforts and their work. Right. No one is no one is granted a championship or rewarded or awarded a championship just simply for showing up. No, it's all about your performance on the field. And to a large degree, how you perform off the field in the off season will determine how you perform on the court or on the field. And so this sporting arena really gives us a good picture into the, the fabric of our country and the, the, the underlying philosophy and even to a degree, the ideologies of, upon which this country, this nation, is built upon. 
that this nation is built upon the idea that your success is only based off of your work. Yes, there are some people who are trust fund babies <laughs> and they just they just get a, a large check because of who their daddy was or who their mommy was. Right. But for the rest of us out here, normal folk, we recognize that my success, my financial success, my my physical health, my marital relationships, how far I advance in my career or in my vocation is purely based on how much work I put forward. And I think what has happened, um, not I think, I know what has happened is that for many of us, we have taken that same ideology of success within the sport, sporting dimension, which is my work determines the reward, and we have allowed that same philosophy to permeate into the spiritual dimension so that now there are many of us as Christian as we may be or as religious as we think we are, are even our religious foundation, our religious belief is based on this idea that my success spiritually is based off of how much time I spend with God, how much devotion I have with God, how many days I fast a week or a month, or how often I read the word, or how often I go to church, that there's something about my effort that goes into the equation of my spiritual success. And what I want to do is just begin to address that in light of the political arena which we're currently living in today. And I think that um, where we're going to go with this today is we're going to continue with where we left off last week in Revelation chapter 14. Because in Revelation chapter 14, we read about three angels, three messengers that have a message for the end of the world, right? It is a prophetic message where John the Revelator is watching and he sees three angels flying in the midst of heaven. And these angels have a particular message that we, the church, today need to understand. So last week, we began to try to unfold and unpack that first angel's message of Revelation 14. And I just want to read it again for you. It's Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. This this angel is what we call the first angel's message. You may be familiar with that term or this may be a new term for you. If anyone ever says, well, what is what is the first angel's message? They're referring to Revelation chapter 14, verse six and seven. This first angel's message is I heard another angel flying in the midst of air proclaiming the everlasting gospel to those who live on the earth. And they were proclaiming it to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people saying, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. So this first angel is flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Now, I really just want to stop right there because I think in order for us to, aim, to understand the second angel's message, we really have to understand very clearly what is this first angel's message. And what the text tells us is that this first angel has, in fact, the everlasting gospel. Now, it's interesting that it uses this qualifying term, everlasting, in front of the word gospel. It's almost as if what John the Revelator is understanding is that there will come a point in Earth's history when there are several different versions of the gospel out there. 
right? There will be the everlasting gospel. There will be the social gospel. There will be the prosperity gospel. There will be the liberation gospel. There will be the evangelical gospel. Like there will be several different versions of the gospel out there. And John the Revelator wants us to be very clear that this angel, this messenger in the last days, he is coming with a very unique message. And it is in fact the everlasting gospel. It is the gospel that lasts forever. It is the gospel that once you embrace it and allow it to permeate through your life, it will in fact lead to everlasting life. That this gospel, it doesn't fade. It doesn't, it doesn't um, grow weary. This gospel doesn't get old. It is in fact everlasting. And the question though, however, is what is this everlasting gospel? Now, if you have been following our messages for the last two months, you should have an idea of what the everlasting gospel is, because we've been talking about it all in the previous series, the identity series, where we were talking about who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you and how you no longer identify as sinner, but you identify as righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ over your life. And so I just want to give you just a real brief reminder of what this everlasting gospel is. And there's two texts I want to call your attention to. The first is in Romans and chapter five. In Romans and chapter five, in verse one, in this you know, to be honest, is one of my favorite passages. Romans chapter five, he says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, or therefore, since we have been justified by, by, we have been justified by faith, it says, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Like, I want you to get this, that at the core of what the everlasting gospel is, is this idea that God has done something for us and that because of what he has done for us, we are now made right with God. Right. So get it. The everlasting gospel is not a gospel where you are having to do something. The everlasting gospel is a gospel which teaches us that it is not your works that brings about salvation. It is the works of Jesus Christ that brings about your salvation. That's why Paul says, therefore, since we have been made right with God or right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. All we do is demonstrate faith in what Christ has done and we are immediately made right in God's sight. This is the everlasting gospel. This is unlike the sports arena. This is unlike the political arena. This is unlike the academic arena, all of which are based off of your performance, your works, your efforts, your energy, your, your, your intelligence, your athletic ability will determine your success. But as it pertains to the gospel, it's not your works or your athletic ability or your success or your stamina or your intelligence that determines your success. It is is Christ's works and Christ's righteousness and Christ's athletic ability which determines our success. It is what Christ has done for us which determines our standing with God. Now that's Revelate, excuse me, that's Romans 5 verse 1. Another text is Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 where it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Hear me very clearly. He says, it is by grace, not by works. It is by grace you have been saved, right? Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us 
to do them. So Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 tell us that we are saved by grace, not from our own works, but in fact, we are God's workmanship. It's almost like God is the potter and he is molding us and shaping us and our salvation and our righteousness is based off of God's ideals and God's work and God's energy that he is exerting in our lives and over our lives. Paul says it another way in Philippians where he says, it is Christ that worketh in you both to will and to do the Father's good pleasure. He says, and again, he says, um, um, he says, Faithful is he um, which started a good work in you that he will complete this work in you. And so there's this idea that the gospel is really about the work of Christ being manifested in your life and that your salvation and my salvation is based purely off of what God has done for us. I don't know where you are right now, but I feel like that's just something worth shouting about. Like, I don't know if you're at home by yourself or you're walking through the store, but that's just something worth lifting your hands about, recognizing that it's not what what I do, but it's what Christ has done that saves me. And this is what the first angel is trying to communicate to the world, where it says, I saw John, I, John, saw an angel flying in the midst of heaven, Revelation 14, having the everlasting gospel, the gospel that you are not saved by your own works, the gospel that you cannot build a system for the saving of your soul, the gospel which says it is not your righteousness that, that avails anything, it is the righteousness of God imputed into your life or imparted into your life that brings about your salvation. That is why Christians, we should really be the happiest and the hopeful and the most joyous people out there because we recognize that our salvation is secure not by what we've done, but purely by what Christ has done. And just to refresh your memory from our last, from our last series, even at times when I mess up and make mistakes and feel like I am not worthless, I do not base my, 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 my thoughts about myself based off of what I have done. I base my identity and my thoughts about myself, about myself based on what Christ has done for me. That is the essence of the gospel. And that's what the angel comes. That's what John sees, having an angel coming through the midst of heavens saying, I have the everlasting gospel and this is it. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. So now that we understand the first angel's message with the everlasting gospel, Fear God, give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and the fountains of water. Then John says, and I saw another angel. And this other angel had a very interesting message. This is what we call the second angel's message in Revelation 14, verse 8. He says, a second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink from the maddening wine of her adulteries. Second angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen. The first angel came proclaiming the everlasting gospel. The second angel comes proclaiming that fallen, fallen is Babylon. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what in the world is Babylon? What is John talking about? What exactly did he see? What is this angel referring to? This requires us to go just a little bit deeper into Bible prophecy and into the book of Revelation. For in the book of Revelation, much of the imagery that is used is prophetic in nature. So when this angel says Babylon, Babylon is fallen, 
we recognize that the angel is not referring to the literal Babylon, uh, which is a city, state, nation, right, in the Middle East somewhere. But what this angel is referring to is a spiritual Babylon. So the question is, what is this spiritual Babylon or this Babylon that the angel is referring to? Well, I don't want to get too deep into it today, so we're just going to do some, 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 some shallow um, snorkeling into the Word of God as opposed to a deep sea diving into the Word of God. But what I want you to understand is that Babylon within the prophetic language always refers to a false religious empire. Let me let that sink in. Babylon is a false religious empire. We recognize this from Daniel, the book of Daniel, where in Daniel chapter one, Daniel chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon. And that was the literal Babylon. But Babylon represented a religious power. And to a degree, that religious power um, 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 competed against and opposed the kingdom of heaven. And so in a spiritual sense, Babylon also represents a false religious power. If you fast forward and go with me to Revelation and chapter 17, Revelation chapter 17 begins to really help us understand the nature of this Babylonian power in what, Dan, in what um, John the Revelator, Revelator is seeing this angel say in Revelation 14 verse 8. Because in Revelation chapter 17, Daniel sees something happening. He sees a beast and he sees a woman. Now, prophetically, anytime the Bible refers to a woman, it is actually referring to the church or let me say a church. So in Revelation chapter 12, you'll read about a woman who is clothed with the sun and standing on the moon and has stars around her brow. In Revelation chapter 12, that woman who's clothed with the sun and standing on the moon and has stars around her brow, that woman represents the true church or God's church. In Revelation chapter 17, you'll read about a woman who is clothed with scarlet and she's dressed like a harlot or a prostitute. And this woman represents the false church. So even within the book of Revelation, you have two women, you have two women, one clothed with the sun, one clothed with scarlet, one is the true church, one is the false church. So in Revelation 17, let's just read what it says in verse one. It says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the, punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters, verse two. With her, the kings of the earth committed idolatry and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteress, right? So we just read in Revelation 14 where it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon because she made all of the nations drink of the wine of her fornication or the wine of her adulteress. Well, here in Revelation 17, it's referring to the same Babylon, referring to her now as a woman who has fallen because she has made the entire inhabitants of the earth intoxicated with the wine of her adulteress or the wine of her adulteries or fornication. Then the angel, verse, verse two, then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, it had seven heads and 10 horns. Verse four, the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She, made, she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon, 
the great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abomination of the earth. So here we see in Revelation chapter 17, you have this woman who is clothed with scarlet. And the Bible very clearly refers to this woman as Babylon. And interestingly enough, this woman, the Bible says, I think it's in verse three, the Bible says that this woman was sitting on a scarlet beast. Prophetically, this beast represents a political power. So here, just follow me here. You have a, a, a woman who is sitting on or riding a beast. Now, I don't know if we have any uh, riders out there who like to ride horses or any other animals, but you know that if you ride a horse, that in order to control the horse, generally speaking, the one who's on the horse is in control. You have some range, you have, the horse has a bit in its mouth, and because you are sitting on the horse, you have the ability to pull and to turn the horse in whatever direction you want the horse to go. So here you have this woman who's sitting on the beast, and because she's sitting on the beast, she is in power, she is in authority, she has the ability to control whichever direction the beast is going, right? That's what is literally taking place. Spiritually, what that means is you have this woman, this false church, this religious power that is sitting on a political power. And the religious power is able to control the political power. Stay with me. Revelation 17. This woman, Babylon is her name. She is sitting, a prostitute sitting on a beast. And this beast represents the political power of this world. And this woman, this false religion is sitting on the political power and is able to turn and to manipulate and to orient and to give directions to the political power of this world. So when we talk about Babylon in Revelation 14, what, what John is seeing is he's seeing an angel saying, saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Let me just break it down for you. Fallen, fallen is the systems, the religious systems and the political systems of this world. This angel is literally saying that we are living in a day where the systems of this world are fallen. Babylon. Now, it juxtaposes the second angel's message is juxtaposed to the first angel's message. The first angel's message is all about the everlasting gospel which means you can't save yourself. You are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. That's the, that's the everlasting gospel. Babylon is a false gospel. It is a false religious system that, 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 that peddles a false gospel about Jesus Christ. It is a gospel that defames the image and character of God. It is a gospel that is rooted in not righteousness by faith, which is the everlasting gospel. It is a gospel that is rooted in righteousness by works. Babylon is a false system that, that, that preaches a false gospel, 
that there's something you have to do to save yourself. There's something you have to do to save your, yourself self, and as, it, as it pertains to salvation. There's something that you have to do to save yourself financially. There's something that you have to do to save your reputation. There's something that you have to do to perform in order to succeed in life. That is the gospel of Babylon, and it is a false gospel. And the angel says, fallen is this Babylon, this false gospel. Now, just so you see where we're going, Babylon isn't just a modern day phenomenon, right? Babylon is not just a false gospel of righteousness by works that is being preached in today's society, which it is very much so being preached in today's society. Babylon has its roots all the way in the beginning. If you go to Genesis chapter three, you will see the very first instance of Babylon. Just turn there with me very briefly. Adam and Eve um, have been planted in the garden. Eve finds herself at the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, excuse me. She takes of the fruit, she eats the fruit, she gives to her husband, he eats the fruit. And the Bible says something in verse number uh, six, no, in verse number seven. After Adam and Eve both ate the fruit, Genesis chapter three, verse seven, the Bible says, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I hope you did not miss it. She says, at that, the Bible says, at that moment, their eyes were open, they felt shame. So they sewed fig leaves to cover their shame. Fig, now, okay. Rewind, before sin, literally Adam and Eve were naked, but they were covered in the glory of God. They were covered in, in garments of light, so they did not know they were naked. As soon as they ate the apple, their eyes were open and they looked down and they realized that they were naked. And because they realized that they were naked, they felt shame, they felt fear, they felt afraid, and so they covered themselves. They took leaves from a fig tree, they sold them together and they attempted to cover their shame by their own works. In that moment, you see the very first fragments and fingerprints and remnants of Babylon. Because Babylon is a system that tries to, that tries to achieve success by its own works. And here in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are literally covering themselves with their own works. They have are forsaken the covering of God, and now they are covering themselves with fig leaves. These fig leaves, historians and scholars will tell you, have always represented self-righteousness. It is your attempts to cover your shame, your attempts to cover your guilt, your attempts to cover your mess, your attempts to cover your drama, your attempts to cover yourself because you feel ashamed. As opposed to running before God and falling before him and saying, God, I've messed up, I've sinned. God, forgive me. God, cover me with your grace. Here, Adam and Eve hide from God and they cover themselves with their own works. Shame. Self-righteousness is at the root of Babylon. Fast forward to Genesis in chapter 11. Noah's ark has just happened. The flood has destroyed the world. Noah and his children come off of the ark. The nations begin to grow. They begin to have children. And in Genesis in chapter 11, something very interesting happens. The Bible says, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but verses 1 through 9 in Genesis chapter 11 basically tells the story of a group of people who got together and says, you know what? 
our people were just destroyed with a flood. Let's band together and let's build a tower to the sevens so high and so tall that we will never be destroyed by a flood again, if a flood comes again. And so they began to work together. And the Bible says that they were so successful in building this tower that God came down and he saw what they were doing. And the Bible says, and I want to read it for you. The Bible says in verse seven, God says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole, the whole earth. So, so Babylon has its original roots in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves in self-righteousness. It manifests itself again in Genesis 11 where the people are like, hey, let's save ourselves from the wrath of God by building a tower. God comes down and confuses their language, hence the word Babel or the core root of Babylon, which literally means confusion. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 14, and you see here that from Revelation chapter, excuse me, from Genesis chapter 11 to Revelation chapter 14, the entire world has been built on one of two systems. Everything that this world that you and I experienced, that our ancestors experienced, that the ancestors before them have experienced, has been built on one of two systems. The false gospel or the true gospel. Self-righteousness or righteousness by faith. Everything from the sporting industry to the academic world to the political arena, everything is built on one of two systems. The everlasting gospel of love or the false gospel of works. And so in Revelation 14, when the angel comes, John sees the angel finally saying to us, the system of this world, Babylon, the sporting industry, the academic industry, the political industry, everything that is built on anything other than the true gospel of Jesus Christ is fallen. Democrats and Republicans are fallen. The system, the, the democratic system and the Republican system is fallen, essentially meaning that there is no salvation in Babylon. That Babylon cannot save, is not worth saving, because the Bible tells us prophetically that Babylon is a fallen system. Babylon is that political, religious power that tries to legislate morality. It is not rooted in love for your neighbor. It is rooted in, well, let me legislate my political opinion. Let me legislate morality. And let me legislate what I think should be happening in the courts. And let me legislate everything to the point where Babylon will eventually try to re-legislate, will try to legislate our relationship with God when we worship and how we worship. And what John is saying to us in this second message is the systems of this world are fallen. 
Now, the question I know that you're asking is, okay, I get it. I get it. Babylon. Babylon represents political religious systems. Babylon represents any attempt man makes to save himself in any domain. So what then should we do? Should we just not do anything? Should I not try to work and make a living? Should I not, should I not vote and go um, um, advocate for a political, a political party? Should I, should I just kind of take my things, sell my house and move away to, to, uh, to the hills and just wait for the coming of the Lord? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I want you to be aware that though we still live in Babylon and though we still work in Babylon, our framework and our orientation and our ideology that informs how we interact with everyone else cannot be based on Babylon. It has to be based on the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, in fact, that first angel's message. I, I think the perfect example of an individual who is able to manage the tension of living in Babylon, but, but working and, and, and aspiring and embracing kingdom principles is Daniel. We're not going to go there for the sake of time. But in Daniel chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, you read of an individual who was taken captive as a young child and he was actually brought to the literal city of Babylon. He was trained in the Babylonian schools. His name was changed to a Babylonian name. He, he ate the Babylonian food to a degree. He was, they, they tried to make him worship the Babylonian gods. And all the while he, while he is living within the Babylonian system, he remained true to the everlasting gospel and to the everlasting God. So yes, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they voted. <laughs> They were engaged. In fact, the Bible talks about how they, they kind of climbed the ladder of political standing to the point where they were, you know, they were very much so in charge of certain regions of Babylon. They were involved in government. They were involved in the city. They were involved in politics, but still their orientation was not based off of Babylon. They recognized, yeah, I'm living and working in Babylon, but I serve the one true God. And my loyalty is not to the Democratic Party. It's not to the Republican Party. It's not even to the Independent Party. My loyalty is not to America or Mexico or Indonesia or China or Europe or the West Indies or Bahamas. My loyalty is to the kingdom of heaven because I recognize that every other nation and every other kingdom and every other political party is fallen. It is fallen and it cannot save. This Daniel understood when Daniel was in vision in Daniel 3, Daniel 4, when King Nebuchadnezzar had the dream and he saw he saw a, a large statue that represented the different kingdoms of this world down through Earth's history. And at the very bottom of the statue, the statue, it, the, the feet of the statue was made of clay and iron mixed together. And what Daniel saw was that at some point this earth was going to get to the point where it would be so divided that no one would be able to bring it together. I believe that Daniel was able to look through time through that to that dream and see the United States of America and see the political parties that we're currently engaged in and see the political debates that we're currently engaged in. And Daniel recognized that, 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 that the, the feet of iron and clay represented this yet to be United States of America. 
And the very next thing that Daniel sees is a stone that is cut out from a mountain without a man's hand. It has no human origin. And this stone comes and it crushes the entire image. And out of that stone, a mountain is birthed and a kingdom grows. And that kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. And what Daniel is saying to us and what Revelation 14 is saying to us is that understand very clearly that in this world, we live in this world and we have to operate in this world. And yes, we should vote. And yes, we should be engaged. And yes, we should get involved. But understand that this world is fallen. And that my, my getting involved and my engagement is not so that I can save this world. This world is not savable. And America is not going to be made great again nor with Trump, nor is the soul of America going to be restored through Biden. America and the system is fallen prophetically. So what we are called to do is to operate within the system in order to save the people that are in the system. And so, yes, I want to be very clear. Like, if you want to vote for Trump, vote for Trump. And if you want to vote for Biden, vote for Biden. And if you want to get involved and run for office, get involved and run for office. Or if you want to climb the ladder in your corporate job, climb the ladder in your corporate job. I'm not suggesting we pull out and do not do anything. But what I'm suggesting is that we have a kingdom lens, understanding that even in my voting and even in my promotions and even though in my engagement in this country and in my business and in my job, it all has to be for a for a different purpose, a better purpose than trying to save this world. This world is fallen. What we're trying to do is save people in this world. So how can my voting for Biden and how can my voting for Trump actually lead to me give, having more opportunity to save people? How can me climbing the ladder of my, in my job and being more involved and growing my business and scaling my business, how can that be used? How can that be leveraged so that I, who am in Christ, can bring more people into Christ? Like that is our orientation. That should be the, the, the premise and the underlying principle in which we operate. Yes, I'm going to be involved because I am an agent for the kingdom of heaven. And I want to go places that other people cannot go so I can reach people and save people that others will never be able to save. So I am an agent. And in this failed state that we're living in, my goal is not to save this country or to make this country better than the next or to somehow preserve our. No, 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 no. My goal is to be an agent for the kingdom of heaven because I am in Christ. My loyalty and my allegiance is to another. Now, I don't want anyone to get me wrong. Yes, I love America and I love what this country represents. I love the people here and I love the the, the and I honor those who have paid the price in their life and in their death so that we can have the freedoms that we experience today. But all of those freedoms that we experience, hear me, have to be leveraged to advance the kingdom of heaven. Because one day, very soon, there will be a stone that is cut out from a mountain without man's hands. And it will come and it will crush the very foundation of this nation and this world. And what I want from you and I want to experience myself is that I am a part of that new nation that is being birthed in this place. So as you go into the voting booth in just a few weeks, or maybe you've already cast your ballot via mail, my prayer and my hope is that you understand that no matter who wins this election, it's not about the saving of this system. 
It's about how can we save people? How can I reach my neighbor? How can I reach my coworker? How can I share the gospel, the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ? How can I make sure that I understand that this world, this false system that this world is built upon is indeed fallen and nothing good will come from it? Yes, there are good people here. And my goal is to reach people, not to restore the system. Friends, family, as I think about this word and the fact that we are living in a red, white, and revelation time period. We have to manage that tension between living in this country, but not being from this country. Because revelation informs us that one day Jesus will come, and he will come very soon. And when he does, he will crack the sky back. He will roll it back, the Bible says, like a scroll. And you will look up and you will see thousands upon thousands of angels who are coming to take all of his children home. And I want you to be in that number. I'm gonna be in that number, and I want you to be in that number. So my appeal for you today is that you would begin to detach yourself from the loyalties of this world, and that you would attach your heart to the kingdom of heaven. That you would say within yourself, God, yes, while I live here, I want to, I want to be a good steward of this place. But Father, may I always recognize that this is not my home. When you have that orientation and that mindset, it causes you to look at scenarios and situations differently. It causes you to engage in work and life and play and friendships differently. It causes you to have a kingdom perspective where you recognize that I want to engage you and I want to be involved and I want to lean in so that I can hopefully lift you up and lift Christ up in this process. I want to pray for you today that as we continue to go into this political arena and we don't know what's going to happen November 3rd, we don't want to know what's going to happen November 4th, we don't know if it's going to be a peaceful transition of power or if there will be no transition of power, but what we do know is that this system has fallen, but the everlasting gospel remains the same. And so I want to pray that your hearts and your minds would be fixed and lodged on that everlasting gospel. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, you tell us in your words, Revelation chapter 14, that Babylon, the, the political religious system of this world, is indeed fallen. And that we have to, ought to, need to embrace the everlasting gospel, which is my righteousness is not from myself, but it comes from God, imparted into my life because of what Jesus has done. Father, may we embrace that gospel today, and may we live our life on this earth as one who understands that this world is fallen, but Christ, you are king, and that you are calling us to rescue those who are not in Christ and to transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. God, I pray for every man and woman out there, every marriage out there, every individual who is struggling, whether it's in their marriage, their finances, their school, their job. Lord, I just pray that you would give us a kingdom perspective on everything that we engage in, that when we watch the, the, the Dodgers play or the, the Rams play or our favorite football team play, that we would watch having a kingdom mindset. God, that when we engage in work and in, in going to jobs and to schools and to corporate America, that we would engage with a kingdom mindset. God, that when we talk to our neighbors and our family members and our friends and our colleagues, that we would talk to them and engage them with a kingdom mindset because we are kingdom citizens.
And so, Lord, just let your peace rest on our lives. And for that person out there who is, has not made the decision to accept you fully, God, I pray that you would just continue to beckon them into your presence, call them, bring them closer to you, and may they surrender all that they have to all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends and family, coming up very soon in the month of December, we're going to have a baptism, and I want to invite one of you to be a part of this baptism. You're probably watching right now, and you have not given your heart to God. Um, Maybe you were a Christian, but you left, and you are just now beginning to come back, and you're not sure you know, where you stand. If you want to engage in Bible studies so that we can better understand, so you can better understand who you are in Christ, then please let us know. Reach out. You can um, text the number below and we'll be in contact with you. We want to prepare you for that baptism where you're going to go down into the watery grave and you will come up a new person in Christ Jesus. And so if you want that for yourself, maybe you want that for someone else in your life. You know that you have a, a husband, a wife, a child, a neighbor who doesn't know Christ but they're on the edges there and you feel like, man, you know, I feel like God is doing something in their life. I want to encourage you to begin intentionally praying for them and then let us know so we can partner with you in prayer for them. And by the grace of God, we can see them be baptized and be accepted into Christ's kingdom because of what he has done for them. So it's coming up in December. Please mark your calendars. We're going to want you to be there. And uh, there may be some of you right now who want to be a part of it. So please do not let this moment know. Don't let this moment go without letting us know. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day.